0: Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. Today, Ryan and I have an industry titan on the show. You've probably seen him as a keynote speaker at the biggest digital marketing conferences in the country, or listened to his podcast, or maybe you've read his content on social media or read one of the many books he's published. Either way, when he speaks, we all listen. You won't want to miss episode 21, How to Rewire Your Customer Experience with Jay Bear. It starts right now.
1: Digital Marketing Happy Hours brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com.
0: So thank you for joining us for another week on Digital
1: Marketing Happy Hour. Ryan,
0: what are you drinking this week?
1: I am getting into the season and keeping local, but Oktoberfest, one of my favorite Oktoberfest beers comes from big storm brewery out of clearwater florida and so i am excited that we're sort of in the fall season of especially when it comes to uh beer so that is what i'm drinking what do you have in front of you
0: so i went local as well i am drinking an angry chair five lives go uh you know i love my sours and go so uh figured i would check this one out
1: and i am pleasantly surprised it's very good so you're the one that likes sours. I knew there's one person. I didn't know who, though.
0: Yeah, I know it's an acquired taste, and I know some people think you shouldn't put fruit in the beer, but uh, sometimes it comes out pretty good. So this was another great episode, and I don't want to waste a minute of time. Uh, Ryan, let's bring in Jay Bear. Jay Bear is an inspirational, plaid suit-wearing, Hall of Fame marketing and customer experience keynote speaker, MC, and trusted advisor to the world's most iconic brands. Jay is the author of six bestselling books, including Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype, Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers, and his latest book, Talk Triggers, The Complete Guide to Creating Customers with Word of Mouth. He is the founder of Convince & Convert, a consulting firm that works with the world's most iconic brands to gain and keep more customers with social media and content marketing. He's also the host of the long-running podcast, Social Pros. Jay, welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour.
2: Chris, Ryan, thank you so much. Fantastic to be here for happy hour. At least some of that biography is true. Uh, I also want to put the listeners at ease and let them know that in fact I am wearing a plaid suit right this minute.
0: It's true. We can see it. So <laughs> it's, this is a happy hour and I know it's a little early in the day, but assuming we were at a bar, what's your go-to drink? My
2: go-to drink is absolutely uh, tequila. I grew up in the Southwest. I'm from Arizona Went to school in Tucson, which is not very far from the border, 45 minutes or so. So definitely a, a tequila guy. Collect tequila and uh, go to Mexico once or twice a year on tequila pilgrimages. So that's, that's kind of my thing. Uh, I would say uh, second place would be uh, beer. Uh, third place would be uh, red wine. 172nd place would be gin.
1: nice (laughs) out of all the tequilas because i like tequila too what is is is, is there certain ones that you like that you kind of gravitate to
2: oh for sure yeah a lot it's kind of depends on the on the um expression or the age uh my probably my favorite just for kind of drinking uh, routinely there's a brand called g4 which uh, stands for fourth generation g4 their reposado is uh, definitely one of my favorites
1: very nice, very nice. Well, this is an honor, Jay to have you with us. When we started this podcast, Chris and I came up with kind of our own mentally. We said, "Okay, there's three guests in our list that we want to, you know, have on the show. We can't get
2: any of those, so we'll we'll get Jay."
1: <laughs> Jay, you are on my list Thank of you. 3 I and it that, it, it started back. I went to maybe 2013. I went to uh, San Diego social media marketing world. Yeah. And I believe you keynoted at that event. And that's about when utility came out. And I was in the audience and I had heard of you, but seeing you speak and your storytelling and seeing you live, it really just changed everything. So it wasn't just your words, it was how you said it and express it. And just so you know, I've been a fan of yours ever oh, since.
2: You. That was now. seven years ago. I'm actually good at it now.
1: <laughs> you were <laughs> you good saw at the it prototype there. version. Yeah. 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 So, um, no, anyway couple of things you know over the years one of the many things you've been consistent with and has become part of your brand is wearing these plaid suits which mm, yes. we can say you're wearing how did that even come about
2: well i mean my most recent book is as chris so kindly mentioned is talk triggers which is all about how to create customers with with word of mouth everybody in business knows that the best way to grow a business is for your customers to do it for you like i've been doing this a long time right and and nobody ever says, you know what doesn't matter to my business? Word of mouth. Like nobody ever says that, right? And word of mouth matters to all businesses. However, nobody, Ryan, actually has a word of mouth strategy. You just sort of take it for granted. You just figure, well, if I run a decent business, people will notice that, they'll talk about it, but they don't. You have to actually give people a story to tell, which is the whole premise of the book. So in my case, on that side of the business, the speaking side of the business, my, my client, my customer is the meeting planner, right? The meetings professional. Uh, and, and they decide who the speakers are, and there's lots and lots and lots and lots of speakers, and many of them are quite good, it's very competitive. So you, how do you actually stand out? So, so I thought, all right, there's two angles here. One, I want to give the meeting planner something to talk about. So it's not just that I wear plaid suits on stage. It's that the meeting planner gets to pick out which suit I wear on stage. So there's a whole website. You guys can go there right now, or listeners can. Uh, it's dressjbear.com dressjbear.com, uh, and, and you get to pick out what suit I wear. So whether now it's a, a virtual event or a live event, so I want Jay to wear green or raspberry or purple or gray or whatever the, the color is, that way the meeting planner actually has buy-in and they talk about it all the time. They tell me about it. They tell other meeting planners about it. But the original, original, original premise was this. So in a circumstance like social media marketing, we have a very large audience. Some people will come up to the stage after you give a presentation and say, oh, that was great. Or um, here's my card. Will you give me a call? I want you to maybe do a speech at my company or whatever, right? But a lot of people will say, ah, I do want to talk to Jay, but that's a pretty long line and I got to pee. And so I'll I'll, I'll talk to him later. So what I want to do in that situation is make that connection as easy as possible. You got three, 4,000 people at a conference, how do you make sure they can find you? Well, you wear something that nobody else is wearing. In my case, a very vibrant plaid suit. So first and foremost became a connection mechanism so that I could have more conversations with people after I leave the stage. And then we turned it into an even more effective talk trigger for my business now that meeting planners actually get to be part of
1: the experience. Have you had any requests that you were having trouble fulfilling when it came to the uh, suits?
2: Not not really, because they have a choice, right? So I give them a menu of like 14 suits they can pick from. However, I will tell you that, uh, let's see, I think it was last fall. My time time horizon has been (laughs) not great since the pandemic. I went from traveling 200 days a year to traveling zero days a year. So it's a little bit of a change for me. Uh, but I think it was last fall. I did an event with a a great company called Folio, who I've worked with in the past. They're a software company, and they actually made me a suit of their logo, which is awesome. So it was like a you know like the step and repeat wall. People take pictures in front of it, conferences. You know, it's like yeah. a big backdrop of the logos. It was like that, but a suit. Uh, and so that was really cool. That was the first time, and I think. The only time that somebody actually made me a suit to wear but i'm game man if you want me to you want me to wear a beekeeper suit fencing outfit uh yeah you, you know uh, bathrobe you know whatever i'm game
1: <laughs> so you know it's funny you say you talked about traveling so much it, it is different now not getting in planes as much anymore and I, recently you made a comment i, I saw something about it. it's been like five or six months since you've eaten in an airport a, a meal had a meal at an airport and i could totally resonate with that so there's airport, so much changes yeah. 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 So so much change is happening. How has, you know, this sort of pandemic affected your business at Convince & Convert and how have you had to sort of pivot?
2: Yeah, we, we swung into it pretty hard. We first day created a ton of content assets from the utility perspective, right? Make your marketing so useful that people would pay for it. We really tried to live that premise and have created one, two, three, four, five, six, six different kind of ebook white papers on helping customers through the pandemic. And we've created five tomorrow will be our sixth webinar um, as well. So we're trying to take what we've learned and what we know and give it away one bite at a time, as is the utility thesis. We also doubled the size of our sales and marketing operation um, instantaneously, because we just wanted to have more conversations with clients. Uh, On the consulting side, we're down a little. Uh, for the year versus last Mm -hmm. year, but but not appreciably. The speaking side is down as well. Big surprise because all the conferences have been canceled. However, it's not down very much because I'm very, very fortunate in that I have done a lot of virtual speaking for a decade, right? So this idea of doing Mm -hmm. webinars and online keynotes is not Foreign to me, and I've got a lot of AV equipment to make that happen. And so I'm doing ten events a month right now online, which is which is terrific. So uh, it's kind of nice not having to travel all around and get to, you know, still wear the plaid suit but sit in my own home. And uh, deliver so do you, do
1: you find yourself the- actually you're doing more events because you can do more events when you're not traveling?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. It, and so far, it's been about the same number, mm-hmm. but there's yeah, it's it's actually way easier to do. Two events in a day, for example, which I've done multiple times since the pandemic. You know, one morning, one afternoon, or or now, as you might know, uh, Ryan and Chris, a lot of um, virtual summit people want you to pre-record. Um, so I'm doing Content Marketing World coming up, and, and yeah. that's all pre-record, which I get, right? I mean, it's for safety's sake, for bandwidth, for barking dog or whatever. A lot of them are pre-records, and so I'll tape them a week or two before they air, and and so that that kind of schedule flexibility is actually kind of nice. As well, you know when you're when you're doing live speaking, it does happen. It has happened to me, I want to say three times, maybe four, in my whole career, where you get the double dip, right, where you get two speeches same day. But Uh that only usually happens if it's like morning in Phoenix, afternoon in LA, or morning in LA, afternoon in San Diego. And two occasions I had two different speeches same day in Vegas. Different hotels, right? So that's dope, right? Like, okay, <laughs> nine a.m. at the Mirage and the three thirty at the Bellagio; uh, those are those are happy days uh, in terms of uh, uh, revenue. Uh, but now, online, it's actually definitely easier to string them together like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, less frequent flower miles, of course. But uh... yes,
2: but the hard part, Ryan, is is that you know because everything has changed since the pandemic, you know, I've had to rewrite all of my material. And then I've written one, two, two, totally brand new speeches since the pandemic, um, from scratch. And usually when I write a keynote, you know, I try and stay in that lane for a couple of years. And now I've written two since mm-hmm. March and had to update four others significantly. So the the content side of it has been a, has been uh, challenging because you can't just you know you can't necessarily rely on all the same stories because some of those things don't really work anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, talking about content in your book, Utility, which we talked about, it's about seven years old now. It, and I kind of went back and kind of thumbed through it again. And, and it's been a while, you know, and for mm-hmm. me, it was electronic on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And that was actually one of my books I was reading on the plane going out or actually oh, on the right. way back from San Diego and uh, in, we're in, in Tampa. So it's a little bit of a long flight. But in nice. the book, you know, you talk about if you sell something, you make a customer today. But if you genuinely help someone, you create a customer for life. Yep. What is it about the pandemic, the economy shifting down, you know, for a bit that makes utility essential for businesses in 2020 in this sort of current economic climate? Yeah,
2: it's so crazy, man. I wish I would have I wish I would have written that book this year. I mean, cuz I think <laughs> it's actually more true than ever as it turns 100%. Out. Yeah, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, 54% of customers have since the pandemic purchased one or more things from a business that they've never purchased from before. And 89% of those customers say that they are probably going to stay with this new provider. So what that means is that we're seeing huge market share shifts more than ever, quicker than ever, because market share tends to be stable in good times and tends to change in bad times. And certainly this qualifies as bad times for many people. And that's why right now, because everybody is uncertain, everybody is anxious, brands are built in bad times. Brands are not built in good times, right? You can sustain a brand at a good time, but you don't build a brand at a good time because it's all good. Like, what what are you going to do for me that I don't expect, right, when it's all good? It's all good, right? Now, I'll tell you a little story. Here in Bloomington, Indiana, where I live, there is a local uh, craft distillery called Cardinal Spirits owned by some good buddies of mine. Uh, And they're, you know, they're a successful distillery, mostly here in in our general area, but they're doing, getting some of their spirits um, distributed in in East Coast uh, big cities and stuff. They're, They're smart guys, they're great at marketing. Well, when the pandemic hit, they shifted almost immediately to making hand sanitizer. As you may know, many distilleries did that. Same process, pretty easy. Well, they gave away tons of hand sanitizer to the hospital, the school's first responders, et cetera. And, and everybody in the community thought that was great. Well, they kept you know, making some booze because you got to stay in business. And so what they would do, and they still do this, is every morning they would put a post on their Instagram. And it would say, good morning, Bloomington. Uh, here at Cardinal Spirits, we figured out, here's what we need to sell today to keep the lights on. We need to sell 18 four packs of cocktails, uh, six cocktail kits, and you know whatever. And if you buy anything from us, you get free hand sanitizer because we want you to be safe. People would go in, buy stuff online, pick up in the, you know, uh, contactless pickup. At the end of the day, or or whenever they kind of hit the threshold, so usually it's like maybe three, four o'clock, they would post again and say, Bloomington, you did it. Thank you so much for your support. We have met our bottom line goals for today. For the rest of today, please take your time and money and support a different local business. Hmm.
0: That's amazing.
2: That's what builds brands. If you did that in a good time, it'd be like, Meh. Right? It's a story that doesn't resonate in a different scenario. Mm -hmm. In this scenario, where you sort of have it like we're kind of all in this together at some level, it has huge, huge ramifications. And are they going to succeed disproportionately when things come back uh, to where they were at some level? Yes, I believe so. I really do. And I mean this sincerely nobody is pro pandemic, certainly. Right. But it is also probably probably the greatest opportunity you will have to build your business in your whole life because of these shifts in in market share. And I firmly believe that how you handle your business for the next six months will have a material impact on your success over the next six years. And the utility philosophy of like, look, as long as you can afford to do it, and I know some people are literally hand to mouth right now, but as long as you can afford to do it in your business, giving away value right now will pay off huge down the road. I I really, really believe that to be true. And it's great to see evidence of people like Cardinal Spirits believing in it. Uh,
0: We firmly believe that. And I, I also see that as bad as things have gotten, you always have to look for those silver linings. This is an opportunity, and there have been others through recessions and things like that in the past, to actually create New customers, and one of the things that you've talked about in the past, in some of your speaking and writing, is that you know the need to rewire your customer relationships. Mm-hmm. Is that you know the example you just gave with the, the distillery a good example of that? And and are there other stories that you could share that's kind well, of in line when, with that?
2: When I think about rewiring, which is one of my new keynotes, um, this idea of rewire. Look, nobody knows nothing about nothing right now, right? What we what we have in every business is. A certainty gap. Customers don't even know how to buy from you anymore in many cases because your processes have changed, the circumstances have changed. Uh, one of the examples I use sometimes is I got my haircut. Um, I guess it would have been for the first time, like two months ago now, I guess. And I was like, "Man, I got it. I'm doing virtual keynotes. I can't go. I can't go this shaggy. It's just, <laughs> it's not going to work." So, I get my haircut, and I had to get like sixteen questions answered to get a haircut. And I, you know, look, man, I'm a 50 year old man. I, I I figured I pretty ha- I had a handle on how the haircut business worked, <laughs> but I realized like, nope, not anymore because I had to learn things like this. Uh, is the haircut place still open? Is the, the woman who cut my hair still employed there? How do you make appointments now? Where do you park? Are the parking meters downtown still in operation? Cause I don't really know, I haven't been downtown in forever. Do I wear a mask? Does she wear a mask? Do I come in with clean hair or do they still do shampooing? Do they sell products? How do you pay if you want to buy a product? Do I just walk in? Do I have to text before I get there, like around the corner? Is there a waiting room? Are the appointments the same length or a different length now? And on and on and on to get a haircut, right? So I had on my podcast on Social Pros, Lori Meacham uh, a month or so ago. and Lori's the head of social media customer service for JetBlue Airlines. And she was telling me the story that on their digital team they discovered in their analytics a trend of a search term that they'd never seen before and that search term is are airlines still in business wow are airlines still in business that is not a search term that you would have likely seen in February, and now so much so it popped up on their analytics, nobody knows nothing about nothing. So when we're talking about rewiring, what you really have to do is retrain your team and then re-educate your customers, right? Your best friend right now is an FAQ, like Mm -hmm. a giant, comprehensive, updated everyday FAQ because you cannot assume that customers know how to give you money anymore.
0: Do you think that's in the form of an FAQ? And let me give you a little context to this. The reason I ask it that way is, and maybe this is just my own personal thing, I hate FAQs because I feel that if you have to display a list of frequently asked questions, you're not answering it in the content. And that's why the questions are frequently asked.
2: I totally hear what you're saying, Chris, and I don't disagree. Although I think in this case, because people tend to have questions as I did with my haircut scenario in batches, it is useful to batch them as opposed to make them spelunk through your content to find them in line. But I know what you're saying. Um, So I do recommend, I don't think it's an either or scenario. I think it's answer the questions in the context that they should be answered, also batch them together. But the third thing I think is actually just as if not more important which is to push your FAQ out to the margins. Make FAQ push, not pull. This idea that if somebody wants to buy from us, they'll come to our website, they'll find where the questions are asked and answered, and, and then they'll eventually, you know, satiate that information need and then transact. Yeah, maybe. I would rather say, okay, here's 50 frequently asked questions, but we know these seven are basically Deal breakers, right? They have to be confident in these seven. Take those seven and incorporate them in your emails, incorporate them in your social, right? Build them into your radio campaigns, direct mail, bill stuffers, whatever. So don't rely on the customer to come and find answers. You send them the answers, um, and that reduces friction for them and allows them to make a buying decision easier.
1: So we're talking about content, right? Creating content, probably even more important now than ever before, especially too, if if you relied on, you know, paid and budgets got slashed or completely, then you were left at without. You're seeing a lot of people, at least I'm starting to see, okay, they're getting back into the content creation Mm -hmm. um, and and posting it with all these different types of content. How frequent? do people need to produce that content on a, on a daily basis? And I know it's kind of a vague question. Mm. Sometimes it depends on the medium that they're using, but is there mm. any sort of general rule that businesses should follow?
2: I don't think of it so much, Ryan, as a cadence, but more as a bingo card. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We have a, a, a principle that we use at Convince a Convert for client work um, called the five by five by five. And the five by five by five works like this. You take your key customer personas. Let's say there are five. And then you look at sort of the classic purchase funnel. Awareness, interest, consideration, purchase, advocacy, et cetera. What we do is we create a grid with our clients and say for each of these personas and each of these funnel steps, what are the five questions that must successfully be answered for the customer to move to the next level. It's like shoots and ladders informationally. No one's gonna buy unless they know what it costs. No one's gonna buy unless they know what happens if they don't like it. And so you document all these questions. Five by five by five equals 125, 125 pieces of content that you theoretically need. Now, in reality, you don't actually need 125 for two reasons. One, um, the five different personas don't have fully distinct question sets. And you probably have some content already created. So what we find generally, and this is even for big companies, we end up when we do a gap analysis of, you know, 50 or 60 questions that are pretty important to answer that are not really answered easily um, by the company. And then you just go out and you methodically create content to address those. Might be a video, might be a podcast, might be a blog post, might be an ebook, might be a webinar, whatever. You, you answer those questions uh, methodically and then how and when you roll those out kind of depends on your own cadence. But, but I guess I would say a very complicated answer to a very simple question, Ryan, would be if you're not making content at least weekly, I guess the question I would ask is why?
0: You've been publishing your Social Pros podcast since 2014. Podcasting is an alternative. 2012, actually. Oh, was it? 2012? I, think, I, think, I think
2: we got. I think we got cut off of iTunes at some point. But yeah, January 2012. So we're at
0: um, 400 and almost 450 episodes. Wow, that's incredible. You know, Ryan and I talk about this frequently on the podcast. Using content in different forms, whether it's written, mm-hmm. whether it's podcasting for audio, yeah. video. How has podcasting impacted the brand? How is that as an option? You know, even by today's standards yeah. in 2020.
2: Yeah, I mean, why we started it, like I didn't have dreams of being a podcaster, especially back then, like who cared? The premise of the show was quite simple. What if we just interviewed people we would like to be our customers? That's the show, right? And so we take people who are big company social media managers who are the people we sell to at Convince and Convert and we interview them. Now, as it turns out, it became a pretty popular show. It's one of the top 15 marketing podcasts of all time, according to Apple. Um, So it ended up being much bigger than we expected it to be, which is great. And it certainly helps with overall awareness of the company and me and the work that we do. Uh, But obviously we take those podcast episodes as you do, and we turn them into a lot of other assets, right? Mm-hmm. So we put them on YouTube, we put them on the blog, we turn them into a whole flotilla of social graphics and highlight reels. And sometimes we do um, greatest hits of the podcast and turn those into webinars and eBooks. And so there's, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Just make more wheels out of the wheel you already own uh, is certainly a philosophy that we try to espouse and work with clients on. Nowadays, we we don't do a lot of video on social pros for a number of reasons, but if I was starting a podcast from scratch today, I would probably do it as a video podcast only because you could live stream it. And if you have video, you've got audio to strip it out, right? It's kind of hard to go the other way around.
1: Over the the time, the eight years you've been doing it, mm-hmm. have you been able to also, especially with your guests being, you know, people we'd like to have as customers, have you able to get products or services that you've like, oh, and, and you were able to launch based off of the information that you have been receiving, almost like it's an interview, it's content we're producing, hopefully provides value for other potential customers. But also, aha, we've had, you know, a light goes on, maybe we should be doing this, uh, based off of some of the information your guests have said.
2: Sure, absolutely. Not only guests on the show, I mean, it's it's a great kind of anecdotal market research opportunity for us. Not only, not only People on the show, but our clients. Right? One of the things that we do with our strategy team, and there's six people on our strategy team, um, in addition to myself, who work with big clients on on content strategy, social strategy, digital strategy, and CX strategy. One of the things we do, uh, because we're all virtual, we don't have a lot of meetings and stuff. um, Each strategist has to fill out a little form every Friday that kind of talks about how it's going with the accounts they're working on, et cetera. But one of the things they have to provide myself and our COO is what questions did you hear? from clients this week.
0: Hmm.
2: So we make them document the questions, right? And then when we see a pattern of questions, we say, oh, we should turn that into a webinar or an ebook or a blog post or a podcast episode. And then if we get enough questions, there's like, oh, maybe Jay should turn that into a keynote or a book or whatever. So it's really, I'm really fortunate that that I have either directly or indirectly exposure to a lot of really great brands and what is on their mind. And one of the things that I am good at is sort of pattern recognition and and taking a trend and synthesizing it so that everybody can see it and understand it.
1: Yeah. You mentioned books just then. Uh, Notice it seems like every other year you're kind of promoting or publishing Mm -hmm. a new book. This Mm -hmm. seems to be the other year. Uh, Do Mm -hmm. do you have a new book in the hopper? I did,
2: kind of. So the way (laughs) I do it is different uh, than most people. So I write a speech and then I do that speech 30 or 40 times. And then if it's going well and people like it, I turn into a book, right? Most people do it the opposite. They write a book and then they, then they make a speech of the book and mm-hmm. they tour behind it. I do the opposite. I just feel like you end up with a better narrative that way, better stories, better flow. And once you start talking about that topic on stages – People will start to feed you new examples, right? So, like, oh, did you know about this thing? You know, like a lot of the examples in talk triggers, people fed uh, Daniel Lemon, my co-author, and I once they knew we were talking about word of mouth on stages, and then we took those examples and built them into the book. So, I was working on a new one, uh, Ryan, um, about coveted customer experience. A coveted customer experience is when you deliver uh, to your customers to the degree that price and perfection are no longer required. You don't have to be the cheapest, and if you screw something up, they will give you the benefit of the doubt. That's what coveted customer experience buys you. And so I have I, written the keynote, and I was doing it, and I'd done it a handful of times, and had probably thirty of those speeches booked. And then COVID came along, uh, and now I've got some new speeches that are a little bit more timely, like Rewired and some others. So uh, it's kind of on the it's on the back burner uh, for now. But that's that's the we'll see what happens. But it's okay, like you know for me, I love writing books, but I typically write books to sort of fuel speaking and vice versa. And until we kind of see what speaking looks like, when and if it goes back to sort of regular events, um, I don't feel like I need to write a book just to kind of juice that part of the business. So we'll see.
0: So even by today's standards, living through a global pandemic, I would argue that, to your point, customer experience is, is so vital. And I think At least at the beginning of the pandemic, I hope it's still true today, that we were a little bit more patient with one another, you know, dealing with Mm -hmm. the adapting lifestyle Mm -hmm. and whatnot. What advice would you give to customers that are trying to craft that experience? And part of the reason I ask that is, you know, you had talked about a little bit earlier about how brands aren't built during good times, they're built during the bad. And one of the common misconceptions I see all the time is that people equate a brand with of you know a visual identity, they look at the logo as the brand, right. and that's not right. the case, right? That's just a yeah. component of the brand as the visual identity. But the brand is how you feel, and the customer experience is mm-hmm. absolutely critical to making that happen. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give to businesses that are trying to really craft that customer journey to make it as seamless and positive as possible? Yeah.
2: Well, it's interesting. There, there were definitely a period of time at the beginning of the pandemic where customers were giving businesses a pass and saying, look, this, you know, everything's all screwed up. So I understand why, you know, you forgot my fries or whatever. Those days are over more than 80%. I think the number is 82% of customers now expect businesses. You'll love this now expect businesses to provide more responsive communication than they did before the pandemic. So customer expectations are even higher than they were pre-pandemic. Meanwhile, the business is trying to operate in a pandemic, might have entirely new employees. And that is a real challenge. The problem with customer experience, and this, um, Ryan gets into what I was talking about with a new keynote. So some of the coveted customer experience stuff. The problem with customer experience is that it doesn't actually exist. It's not a real thing, right? We, we, when we say customer experience, that, that sounds like it's a light switch or, or, or a holistic um, kind of thing that you can just like fiddle a dial. The reality is that the customer experience, and I'm throwing out my air quotes uh, for those of you listening, customer experience is actually dozens or hundreds of individual touch points and interactions that together we have decided to nickname the customer experience, just like the brand comprises dozens or hundreds of elements, not just a logo. So when I say to a business, you should improve the customer experience, they always nod. But what does that mean? What specifically Mm -hmm. should you do? Because there isn't a customer experience knob. It doesn't work like that. So the team and I at CNC have analyzed this a lot, tons of research on this point. And what we discovered, Chris, is that there's really three things that matter most, three things that your customers really and truly care about. So if you're going to improve the customer experience and you need to because they demand more, the three things you should focus on are how to be quick, clear, and kind. If you can be disproportionately responsive, if you can be disproportionately informational and reduce sort of confusion, and if you can be disproportionately empathetic, if you can just focus on those three things. And the recommendation I make in that keynote is, If you can be 15% faster, 15% um, more understandable or less confusing, and 15% more empathetic within 90 days, you will be well on your way to delivering that coveted customer experience, which inoculates you against low price and operational deficiencies. Quick, clear, and kind.
1: When a business, or I should say a customer, is looking at a potential business to obviously take their business to, they look at... Google reviews, for example, as like the, the metric to look at and, and, and make their decision based off of a star rating. When you're talking about customer experience, how does that tie in when you're working with businesses on, you know, improving that aspect of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, what's a review? A review is word of mouth delivered asynchronously. That's all it is. It's word of mouth delivered in less than real time. Just happens to be on a computer as opposed to face-to-face or via email or, you know, whatever. To get word of mouth, you have to have two things. Um, well, to get positive, to get positive word of mouth, <laughs> <laughs> you have to do two things. You need operational success, right? So you actually have to deliver a good customer experience and you need to give them a story to tell, like the plaid suit, right? So that's where you sort of need a talk trigger. You need, you need something that will, that will compel your customers to tell other people. And the big mistake that every business makes, and I mean, when I say every business, I mean like literally 99% of businesses, is they believe that competency will create conversations. That if they just deliver sound operations, right? They like, yep, the food was good and the service was good and the temperature was good, that people will be like, man, I got to tell everybody about how good this restaurant is. It doesn't work like that. We don't discuss good. We discuss something that is outside of our frame of expectations. So you have to do something in the operations of your business that people don't expect, right? Plaid suit, whatever your circumstances are. So to get positive word of mouth and reviews are more important than ever. I've been talking about this a lot, that they are literally more important than they've ever been because essentially everybody starts from zero reviews again. I don't care if you've got 10,000 reviews. You have as many reviews as you've accumulated since March 1st. Everything mm-hmm. before that is truly and utterly useless. Nobody cares. So it's everybody reset. It's like resetting the review odometer on every brand. So you're rebuilding your online reputation from scratch, truly from scratch. And in order to do that, you've got to get more and more of your customers to tell your story in reviews. In order to do that, you've got to obviously execute right, but then give them a story to tell something that says, oh, I should write about this. And just having good food isn't that. You know why? Because you're a restaurant. They expect the food to be good. That's how restaurants work. Nobody gives you conversational credit for doing exactly what they paid you to do.
0: That's a key point. And I feel like, and I think the data shows this, reviews are either your happiest customers or the customers that are the most furious with you. Because if you're right in the middle, you're not inspired to leave a review. What advice do you give to businesses to sort of create that edge to, to share that story or to create that engagement in a way that just delivering on the expectation doesn't do.
2: Yeah. And it has to be an actual strategy, right? An actual word of mouth strategy, which is what we break down in the talk triggers book. You've got to say, okay, what's the one thing that we can do in the operations of our business that customers won't expect? And we can do it every time for every customer and that will spur them to tell other people. So we talk about um, five different types of, of talk triggers in the book. For example, we talked about quick, clear and kind one of the ways that you can deliver an experience that's outside of your customer's uh, frame of expectations and then create the desire to share that story is with speed, is by being faster than they expect, okay? There's an accounting firm uh, in Indianapolis, not too far from where I live, and they're called Bogdanoff and Dodges. And you know, they're, they're not noteworthy from an accounting perspective. It's two principals, uh, Paul and Tim, and they have an associate and then the front desk person. They do the exact same thing that every other small accounting firm does in America. Like exactly the same, right? They do uh, small business returns, personal returns, a little bit of tax advice, that's it. There are quite literally 10,000 or so accounting firms in this country that do precisely the same thing for almost the exact same money. So how, how would you possibly differentiate? Well, they have done it with speed. At Bogmanoff and Dodges, they answer every client, phone and email, every time, every question within five minutes, five minute response time for an accounting firm. And if you look at their Google reviews, number one, they have a shit ton of Google reviews for a local accounting firm, like, you know, like a hundred or something crazy like that. And every review is the same, basically. Can't believe how responsive they are. These guys get back to me within three minutes every time. And I sent them a, a voicemail. They got back to me almost before I had the phone out of my hand. Love these guys, right? Every accounting firm on the planet could do that. But they're the only ones who did. They just chose to. They built it into their operations. That's what it takes. Got to give people a story to tell. No one's got, you- you know, look, I've had, I think I've had 11 accountants in my long business career. And I've never, ever left a review or told this story. Chris, Ryan, check this out. Got my tax return back. All the numbers added up. <laughs> That's not a story, right? That's what you pay an accountant to do. <laughs> so, right? There's no there's what what review am I gonna write? Yep, as expected, the math was a hundred percent accurate. That's not worthy of a review, right? So you've got to do something like a review is not easy, right? You gotta yeah. A, say, I'm gonna, it's not, it's not like it takes six hours, but it takes some time and you got to write it, and you got to want to write it, and you got to say, I'm going to do this instead of everything else in the whole world. You know, it's 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 not so much effort, but it does require some mental um, energy, and you got to give somebody some raw ingredients, right, in order to make that happen.
1: Well, and it, it's interesting that you talked about the accounting because there are some necessary, but boring industries. Personally, I think accounting is kind of falls sort of in that. And then you have, uh, you know, on the flip side of things where like, you know, automotive, where mm-hmm. it doesn't take much for people to leave a, a positive or negative review. And we kind of talked about, it's either going to be five or it's going to be one. It's not going to be two, three or four, most, not most right. of the time anyway. So when you get to some of these, you know, quote unquote, boring, how do you make word of mouth involuntary for, for those because I think it's it, it's a challenge. Yeah,
2: it's actually easier. It's actually easier um, if you have a talk trigger like Bogdanoff and Dodges because nobody in those industries does, right? I mean, they've all taken a vow of boredom. Uh, and, and so all you got to do is put like a tiny twist on it. And all of a sudden people can't believe it. I was doing a, a speech last year, a big financial planning company and a guy came up to me and he was a financial planner, CFP in... Um, I want to say Kansas, but it doesn't matter. His last name is Rose. In their lobby of their kind of office, they always have a giant arrangement of fresh roses. And so when clients come in for portfolio review, if it's a female client presents her with a rose, if it's a male client presents him with a rose, please share this with somebody you love. Reviews, word of mouth, he's the rose guy, his last name is Rose. Like, I mean, that couldn't be easier, but yet nobody does it. One of the craziest stats in the world, guys, is from actually John Jantz from Duct Tape Marketing, one of my good friends and a true uh, marketing genius. He did a bunch of research on this that found that fewer than 1% of businesses have an actual word of mouth and referral strategy. Fewer than 1%. So it doesn't take much. And it doesn't matter if you're a boring business. And I would argue if you are a quote unquote boring business, it's actually easier because people expect literally nothing from you. So all you got to do is put a tiny, tiny twist on it. Give somebody a rose. And all of a sudden you're like a word of mouth
1: superstar. Why do you think that is? That it is that, you know, less than 1%? Um,
2: Well, it's two things. One is, as I mentioned earlier, people think that competency creates conversation. Like they, they think that just by running a good business, they are doing a word of mouth strategy. That's the, that's the main reason.
1: Mm.
2: And then the second issue is I think people still feel like if they purposely do something that draws attention, somehow that is frivolous or takes away from the value of their core product or service, right? They, they feel like it's, I don't know. It's too goofy. It doesn't have to be goofy, but I, I just feel like they, they feel like, oh, that's not, we're not in that business. We're not in the giving away flowers business. We're in the financial planning business. Um, and I'm like, well, you're in the business of getting customers to talk about you. Because if you're not in that business, you ain't going to be in the other business very long.
1: I find it interesting too, and I bring up automotive and I see you're coming up in the fall, you're speaking at Digital Dealer, which I I think is great. And somebody who has spent the last several years working with the tier three, if you're not automotive, that's your local car dealership. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting because your concepts go against the old way of thinking, meaning sell, 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 today, Mm -hmm. today, today. Every month starts on the first and it ends on the last day of the month and we start over again. And even though that, you know, GMs and, and owners know the buying cycle can go up to three months, you know, in, in some situations, but yet that's not what they're looking at. It's a number and where I've worked with in some of your principles of helping, you know, creating and i always like to think businesses should think of themselves as a media company oh and by the way they sell cars for an example creating that content you know the faqs we talked about things like that a first time buyers guide maybe as content on their website as lead gen and it's with the 10000 plus car dealerships i would say 1% is you know of that
2: <laughs> yeah, it's probably lower than that. uses
1: that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's great that you're you're getting ready to do this yeah. and uh, look forward to it. Real quick, what's one takeaway that any of our audience, you know, listening to this, they could apply?
2: Yeah, I actually just worked on the digital dealer um, slides uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So okay. definitely, uh, definitely timely. And yeah, talk about an industry that has been turned upside down. One of the stats is there's a, a, a company... Dealership in New York City called Paragon Honda, um, which I actually wrote about in Talk Triggers, and despite you know they they are they're a good organization, like they're definitely a progressive company. Despite that, pre-pandemic they were selling five point one percent of their vehicles online. Now today forty one percent. That's crazy, right? I mean, this you know the thing about the car dealer industry that drives me crazy is that the number one seller of diamonds in the world is blue nile.com people spending four five ten twenty thirty thousand dollars on a diamond ring online never saw the diamond yet the automotive industry has said largely and i'm oversimplifying here has largely said nobody's gonna buy a car unless they come to the showroom yeah have you met eBay Motors by chance? Have you familiar with that trend, right? I mean, it, it, it is, instead of saying, how can we convince people to come to the dealership? My advice is, how can you build your business to succeed as if you didn't have an actual showroom? So if somebody wants to come look and touch and drive the car, that's gravy, right? It's historically been chicken. I'm saying, turn it into gravy, right? And chicken is what you do online. And, and my takeaway, Chris, for everybody would be just that. Right now, because of the pandemic, nobody knows nothing about nothing. How people buy and what they know is completely disrupted. And what you have to do as a business is to audit and analyze every single touch point you have with customers and get some sandpaper and rub off every rough edge. If it takes them 30 seconds on hold, how can you get rid of that? If the web page is confusing, how do you change that, right? If, if, the, if the price is different than it used to be and that makes them uncertain, how do you fix that, right? You just have to reduce hassle and friction in every conceivable way, because if you don't, they're gonna switch to your competition in the drop of a hat. Brand loyalty right now does not exist, right? To the easiest go the spoils. So you really have to focus on making sure that your customers know how to buy from you and can do so really, really easily.
0: That's fantastic advice. So we don't like to just talk shop on the show. We have a segment that we call Keep It Light, which is basically what are you binge watching or reading these days that you could share with the audience? Okay.
2: Two things. Uh I am reading a new book called El Jefe, El Jefe, which is about how El Chapo, the famous uh Mexican drug kingpin, was finally apprehended. Uh and I'm into that kind of narcos again, sort of an Arizona tequila thing. So I'm reading El Jefe, uh, very good. Recommend that. Uh and watching this is a little bit of a of an embarrassing admission here, but I'll do it for you guys. Uh my wife and I uh discovered and i don't know why it was we were late to this game uh the reality show below deck do you know that show i know of it. of it i have not seen it it's it's a it's it's like a private yacht and there's a crew there's a chef and some you know deck hands and some uh, stewardesses in the cabin who you know make food and take care of the place and then a captain Uh, And then each week, sort of like the love boat, there's a new set of guests. Usually they're kind of annoying American um, people. Uh, And then the show is all about sort of the guests and then the uh, love hate sort of of the crew. Uh, It's super trashy. Like I can't even tell you super, super trashy. Uh, But that's the guilty pleasure that uh, my wife and I are binging.
0: Stuff like that is great because it doesn't require anything of you. You can just. No, it requires very little of (laughs) zero thoughts. Very little.
2: (laughs) Although there are some interesting customer experience lessons, for sure, on a private yacht in the Mediterranean, definitely.
1: Well, Jay Bear, it has been a pleasure having you on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Again, you know, uh, top three, you're, you're, I can cross that one off, Strike through, so Jay, Jay is on the podcast. That. Very good. Uh, no, absolutely. Jay, if people wanted to find you who didn't know how to find you, where could they find you at?
2: You can find me at convinceandconvert.com. Convinceandconvert.com, that's our main site. More than 3,000 articles for business owners, entrepreneurs, managers, marketers, et cetera. The podcast is called Social Pros. My personal site's JBear.com.
1: Thank you so much, Jay. I
0: appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Take care. Our pleasure. So Ryan, did you ever have that feeling while we were having that conversation? Oh my God, oh my God, Jay Bear's on the podcast.
1: You know, we talked about the very beginning that there's just, you know, kind of a short list of people that we wanted. Uh, There's no joke. It wasn't just to, you know, make Jay feel good. It was because he is great at what he does. And I, I hope everybody had a chance to really, you know, make it all the way through. And you're listening now and a little bit of our recap of that interview. He brings it, you know, and I loved how he talked about boring industries, you know, about accounting. So it's not just the big enterprises, it's not just the small to medium businesses size where, you know, you still have a product that people are gravitating to, but even if you're in a boring industry, you can still create content. You can rewire that customer relationship. So he covered everything and I hope everybody got a chance to see how great Jay is. Yeah.
0: His personality is larger than life. His attire, his dress is larger than life. Uh, and he definitely brought a ton of value. He's he's definitely somebody worth listening to on all things marketing. Really. It was sort of interesting how we talked about John Jance as well, because I know that was sort of my break into marketing, reading duct tape marketing with John Jansen. I know you came back from um, social media marketing world with uh, Jay Bear being a keynote speaker, and so they were kind of entry points for the two of us. It's interesting the way you know the titans in this industry all know each other and uh, work together on a lot of different things. So that was that was really kind of fun to see. So that'll wrap up another week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But as it goes, we can't finish an episode without the Keep It Light segment. So Ryan, what are you binge watching, listening to, or reading these days?
1: Yeah, you know, part of this year, I think, is we both have talked about this. Is kind of going back and sort of re-consuming books. You know, whether it's books on audio, podcasts, whatever that we've heard before, because sometimes you get great articles or great books, and you kind of have to go back again and and sort of re-examine it. The book I went to, I I listened to it. I think a book originally I read it and then I kind of stopped reading and I got the book on audio in the middle of it was The CEO Next Door by Elena Botello and Kim Powell. And I think I originally was late 2018. And I think this book is perfect for entrepreneurs, people getting into starting their own business. The book really tells you a lot about, you know, not just what it takes to be a CEO, but also, you know, a little bit of how to run a company. And there's a couple lines in here that I liked, especially if you're in a small to medium-sized business, you're not a solopreneur, but you have some people with you. A couple of quotes from here was the CEO's job is to decide on the what and empower others to decide on the how. A lot of times I've noticed in my experience, CEOs, they kind of, they want to do it all. They tell you both. And the empowerment part, empowering your people, I think is huge that there are a lot of CEOs that don't, do that very well. And so I, that's one big thing on it. And another one I thought was great was in startups, speed of execution often determines success. If you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you shipped it too late. And that was a quote that came from the book about from uh, Microsoft exec. So that's just two tidbits, but the book is great CEO next door. If you have not read it or heard it, uh, I encourage you to, to do it. So uh, what are you reading or listening to, Chris?
0: So CEO Next Door sounds like a good read. I'll have to add it to my list. There's a lot of early stories out of the uh, computer software industry about the difference between success and failure was whether the product made it to market or not. And as we know, the early versions of the software were terrible, but mm-hmm. they were the only ones out there. So it counts for something. I actually finally had a chance to watch some TV and uh, season two of The Boys on Amazon Prime was released. And I don't know what it says about me that I tend to watch these dark shows, but I find the show interesting because it's about, you know, superheroes, but not the glorious, you know, Marvel superheroes, sort of the dark side to you know, having if superheroes existed in the world today. And uh, it's really interesting. It's also an excellent marketing story because season one came out last year and they, they released the entire season. And for season two, they released the first three episodes and now they're doing a release every Friday. And the reviews on IMDb are horrible, but they're not horrible because the show is bad. The show's actually quite good and season two really you know, kind of picked up the adrenaline from the first season. But people are annoyed that they have to wait week after week now for the releases because we've sort of gotten used to that ability to binge watch a show. And, you know, I don't know why the producers made the decision they did to do the release this way. I'm assuming it was selfishly motivated to drag it out a little bit longer, have people talking about it a little bit longer. But it just goes to show you that if there's a consumer expectation of one thing and you deliver something else, you're not going to get the reviews you're looking for. So it lines up nicely with what we were talking about with Jay today.
1: No doubt. No doubt. So speaking of Jay, you know, we love to hear your feedback. So if there's something that you absolutely disagreed with that we said, or that Jay said, we want to hear from you. If there's something you loved better yet, let us know on social media. Hit us up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at F L A. Find me on LinkedIn as well. Search for that, Ryan Smith Marketing. You'll find me. Otherwise, if you just type in Ryan Smith, there's going to be about 500 million Ryan Smiths that you're going to come across on there. And then, of course, also just do a search for Araxum on LinkedIn. You'll find both Chris and I that way as well. A-R-A-X-A-M.
0: And you can reach me on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. On LinkedIn, you can find me under Chris Casale. You can also find me under Araxum or, of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And on Twitter, my handle is RealChrisCasale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And after this week, we hope it's Jay's mom's favorite podcast, too. Have a great day.
1: Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M dot The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.